Well, happy Father's Day. You know, the first service didn't know what was going on afterwards because they came in and the hot dog cart was not set up yet. And now you know, that was a great smell, wasn't it? I'm not a huge hot dog guy, but they smelled really good. And one other little tip for you, every topping that you could dream of, the things you, the things you don't dream of, who puts pineapple on their hot dogs? It's there and it looks good. So anyway, hot dogs and hot rods outside when we're done here. But wasn't that awesome worship? I don't know about you. You know, the Holy Spirit works in different ways, but I felt in that fourth song, oh, the Holy Spirit settled down and like, whoa. Just, it, just absolutely incredible. So what an awesome. Let's uh, just thank God one time for our worship team that helps us worship the Lord. You know. It is so, it's such a blessing for me. I love worshiping with, with the songs. Great. And that, that's the last song we sang, a new song out of uh, Elevation Worship, right on target. If you don't know, for 20 years, my wife and I lived in Vermont. And we, that's where we raised our kids. And we lived on a small farm. And if you live on a small farm, you've sort of got everything except horses. Our daughter never got interested in ponies. And I was happy because horses are expensive. But we had a milking cow and sheep and pigs and turkeys and chickens. And so we did the whole gambit. And if you have farm animals, you quickly come to learn some important lessons. For instance, farm animals are always trying to break out. <laughs> and there are other animals that are always trying to break in to get the farm animals. There's the domestic ones and the wild ones, and they're not friends. And so but invariably, all of our animals got out at some point in time, even though we were careful and, I think, good farmers. It's amazing how fast a couple of, tr of cows, just what looked to be slowly trotting, how fast they can go miles down the road. <laughs> and then you get the call, Mark, I think your cows just went past my house. <laughs> and our turkeys that are, were really friendly until one morning I looked out and they had roosted on top of our picnic table. That wasn't cool. And we had chickens get out and go into rose bushes and little baby chicks that disappeared and were running around in the yard. Now, you've probably seen cute videos of pigs, right? Piglets? Well, there is nothing harder to get back in a fenced area than a squealing, wriggling piglet. That little body is all muscle and they do not want to be picked up and they squeal so loud. We had our piglets get out. And, of course, our sheep would get out. And what happens is sheep, the Bible talks a lot about sheep and shepherds. And it's worth paying attention to that because what you realize if you own sheep is that sheep are lost without guidance. They're in a fenced area. They manage to get out. They don't know what to do. They run this way. They run that way. They need somebody to lead them around. And pretty quickly, they just wish they were back inside their fenced area where they felt safer. All these animals busy breaking out. But then there were the animals trying to break in to get to the animals trying to break out. There was the black bear that went through the screen of the chicken coop and went in and started eating chickens. Our son, Matt, woke us up. Dad, Dad, there's something in the hen house. And I ran outside just, just quick enough to see the bear, boom, go popping back out the window and run into the woods. There was the fox that came into our barn. We had a little box with a special light on it to keep our baby chickens, the chicks, warm. And that fox discovered it would come in, knock the cover off, and one at a time was plucking the chicks and running back to its den and then coming back for another one. Thankfully, our neighbor Robbie happened to be driving by and he spotted it. 
and come and banged on our door and said, Mark, Mark, you've got a fox in your barn. Lastly, however, there were the coyotes. So there was this one day, we've got the coyotes in the pasture like 75 feet from the house. It's a good electric fence around. You think that those coyotes are going to be safe. But in the dead of night, I was jolted awake by the loudest coyote howl I'd ever heard. And what scared that coyote away was the nearly naked pastor with the flashlight <laughs> running across the yard to get rid of him. That's just what happens in farm country, I suppose. But there are these, there are breakouts and there are break-ins. And we see this in the lives of people as well, right? If you follow pop culture at all, you know that Taylor Swift and whatever boyfriend is having yet another breakup, right? Our son Calvin, thankfully, just sold his very used car. He experienced plenty of breakdowns in his life, and I was so glad to see that thing drive away, and I could stop fretting about the next time he would call on phone. He'd call. I looked down, and I knew he was out in his car, and his name would pop up on my cell, and I'd think, oh, no. Please don't let this be another breakdown. But you know what we don't experience as often, although we would like to, is breakthroughs in our life significant changes in our lives that can change the trajectory of things. And we see the same things in the lives of other people, don't we? We know that people are hungering for breakthroughs in their life. And so that's what we want to talk a little bit about today. And Jesus is going to help us understand this whole principle of breakthroughs and how they come about. And he's going to do it through one of his awesome parables that he speaks to us. You know, I think when we get breakthroughs in our lives, those typically... Uh, do not occur because of a little bit of effort, a little bit of minor attention, and boom, something big will happen. No, because when, when we have breakthroughs, it's because there's some sort of obstacle that we're trying to get by. If we look at the definition for a breakthrough, it's defined as any significant or sudden advance, development, achievement, or increase that removes a barrier to progress. We all have these barriers in our lives, don't we? And how is it that we can get by them? Or we see people in our lives that we know and that we love, and we say, wow, if this, if he or she could just get past this, a whole new opportunity would open up before them. You know, I think that a lot of times breakthroughs uh, in my life cannot happen unless I get assistance from somebody else. Whether they come alongside me and they're coaching me, or tutoring, or simply encouraging me, or maybe giving, uh, holding me accountable to something. Uh, and I think that's the case for most people. Breakthroughs oftentimes help happen when we're getting assistance from somebody else. The easy ones we've taken care of on our own. It's the harder ones where we need assistance. My wife, Julie, is a teacher. She teaches third grade over at MCA. And, and, and as a lot of good teachers understand, she knows that there are different ways that kids learn. Sometimes kids learn best on a certain topic in some sort of a lecture format. Other times they need to have their hands down and dirty and explore around and because the teacher is aware of what result is going to come out of it and the light bulb is going to go off in the kid's head. Uh, Jesus was a great teacher. He, he, and he understood that same thing, that sometimes he could teach this way to a certain crowd. Other times, he needed to teach very differently to somebody else to make sure that what he was trying to teach would really sink in. And so today, as we're working through this, we're just going to, we're going to ask the Lord right now to help us really learn about this principle of breakthroughs and what Jesus taught. So let's pray right now. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for your rich and vibrant word that speaks so powerfully into our life here in the 21st century. We pray that you would help each one of us to get something really profound out of your word this morning, Lord, and that you would get all the glory for it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm so glad to have all you guys here today. You know, we have an online audience. We have a cable audience. We have people listen uh, 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 to us, our messages later on. So let's welcome our big church family, everybody. One of the principal ways that Jesus taught was in parables. And everybody understood when Jesus was telling a parable that he was actually making up a story. We don't like to think about it as the Bible, do we? The Bible's not made up stuff. It's real stuff. Yeah, it's a real story that Jesus was telling, recounted for us, but he was making it up as he went. And the reason he did that is he would package some information in such a way that really targeted his particular audience. They got the story that he was telling. And not just the big picture, but they would understand the nuance of what he was saying because it was about things directly related to their lives. That's 2,000 years ago and thousands of miles removed for us. So when we read one of Jesus' parables, oftentimes we have to pay a little more attention to the details to make sure that we really get what he's saying. That we don't pass by the details and miss all these cool things he's telling us. So I'm going to read to you right now perhaps one of the most famous parables that Jesus told, which is a parable of the prodigal son here on Father's Day. Ready? There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So the father divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed his pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Just make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son's son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick! Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older brother was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But the son answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You, yet you never gave me even a young goat to celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill a fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me. 
and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. When Jesus told these parables, his audience listened because so often they would proceed down a certain course and then there was a shocking twist to the story and the people couldn't believe what they were hearing. This parable is one of three that comes in quick succession that Jesus told. The parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and then the parable of the lost son. And Jesus tells these three stories and they all have the same fundamental message that there's rejoicing in heaven whenever a sinner returns and repents and comes back to Jesus. So important was this point that Jesus wanted to make sure that people got it. So he told three different stories to make this clear. You know, each of you who's already accepted Jesus as your Savior, you understand this already. There came a point in time when you either realized you were lost or just felt like you were wandering. But God understood that you were out of relationship with him. And you found that it was very easy for you to step closer to him, wasn't it? All you had to do was just say, Father, please forgive me. I know I've, done, I've messed up. Help me to live your way rather than my selfish way. But you may be listening to us in person saying, well, uh, that's not where I'm at with God at all. I have no relationship from him. Or I tried when I was a little kid, and then you don't know what happened in my life, and I've run from him ever since. I'll tell you, a relationship with Jesus is the easiest and greatest relationship that you can have. It's easy because it's, it's like Jesus is sitting in the kitchen, and he's poured the cups of coffee, he's propped open the door, and he's just sitting there with a smile on his face waiting for you to walk in. But you have to walk in. You don't stand outside or you're not going to have that relationship with him. It's great, too, because he's ready to transform all the rough edges of your life and make them better. So Jesus is ready to do these things, and he tells us these stories to enrich our lives and to make it smarter for us to live. But because it was 2,000 years ago and a different culture, we have to pay a little bit of attention. But, and one of the, but one of the principal messages we see, and this is right in your bulletin, one of the things we see is breakthroughs don't happen unless we want them to. You know, have, you ever seen, have you ever seen somebody, so they have something great happen in their life and they didn't try it all? Everybody that I know that wants to make a radical change in their life, they have their nose to the ground's grindstone. They are trying hard to bring that thing about. Breakthroughs don't happen unless we want them to. You know what? There's a, a, a sort of a startling or funny or depressing common experience that pastors have. And it goes something like this. We get a phone call. Hey, listen, I got a lot going on in my life. I could really use some advice. Could I please come in and see you? I'm really desperate. No, 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 Sure, love to. Person comes in, they spill their heart, they tell the story. It may be hard, it may not be quite so hard. And, and, but this desperation is evident through the whole story they're telling. And so then, because I'm a guy, because I'm like a fixer-upper, and I'm a pastor, I say, I so appreciate you sharing that with me, Len, Here's a piece of paper and a pencil. Let me give you two or three or four action steps, things that you can do to help change this situation you have. And I'm feeling good about it because I know it's good advice. And then a few days later, a few weeks later, I see the person and I talk to them and they've implemented zero. They haven't sought to bring about this change in their life that they were so desperate to have come about. 
I guess they didn't really want it. They just wanted to vent. They just wanted to share their burden with somebody, but they didn't want it. What we see here is the son wants it. And if you want to change, and if there's something you've got to break through in your life, you have to want it if it's going to happen. The other thing I want to say that's going coming into this, I don't want you thinking for one second that the father is an enabler. Enablers bring, draw people kicking and screaming to things or give them things that they don't really want because the person knows it's good for them. That's not what the father's doing. He has a son come to him and the son says, I've got to change. I'm a disaster. Please help me. Please forgive me. The father says, all right, I got a live one here. So this father is not an enabler. So we can embrace everything the father says. We don't be thinking, oh, he shouldn't have done that. Should have done a little tough love. No, this father is not an enabler, okay? So, but it starts with the son wanting a breakthrough. And we, we hear this description after he had spent everything. This is verses 14 to 18 of Luke chapter 15. There was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. He just wants to eat the pig food. You know what the name for pig food is? Slop. I had pigs and it is slop. It's sloppy. Pig food is like this juice and the vegetable scraps and some grain or bread products and some sour milk some yogurt. Pigs love yogurt, but it's all mixed together and it doesn't smell good. Okay. And the pigs have that little round tail and they're like wagging the tail. They're so excited to get this wretched stuff. It's what they want. That's what the son wants to eat. He is so desperate for a change in his life that he's asking to eat the pig slop. He wanted a breakthrough in his life. As I said before, so often breakthroughs are not entirely up to us, that we rely on people coming alongside us. And we see four things that the father did here to do this. But I got to tell you this one other story first, because I've experienced sometimes a big breakthroughs in my life too. Uh, maybe 12, 15 years ago, I started having this real clear sense that God was calling me into the ministry and that I should go to seminary. And there was one day I was having my quiet time. I was praying about this and I just really felt clearly that God was saying, and I was saying, God, We've got five kids. I don't make a lot of money. How on earth can we afford for me to stop working or reduce how much I'm working plus all these things we have to do, da-da-da-da-da? God, I don't see it. And he really clearly impressed on me. He said, I can't show you how I'm going to pay for it until you go ahead and apply. He wanted me to take this step forward. Now, unfortunately, I'm sort of slow on the take. The more you get to know me, the more you'll know that's the case. It's like, oh, did that really happen? No, 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 no. So, but I finally smarten up and I go ahead and apply. And a couple months later, I come home from work. Julie says, Mark, got a letter from John, good friend of mine halfway across the country. And I'd sort of been out of touch with John for a while. He says, Mark, his letter opens. He says, dear Mark and Julie, he says, Terry and I, we can't figure out how it is that you guys could go to seminary and raise your kids and have this farm and this and that. And so Terry and I, we want to help pay for you to go to seminary. And they paid, and they paid, and they paid. 
If not for them, we could have never had that breakthrough. But they got us over the barrier. The Father does the same thing for the Son here. So listen, I know it is awesome. And if you knew how much money, you would really be amazed. So the Father does four things that I think are great to teach us about breakthroughs here. Ready? The first is the father gave the son freedom to fail. It says in verse 12, the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. Those Middle Eastern listeners knew how outrageous it was for this son to say, listen, I'm the younger son. I'm entitled to a third of the estate. Give it to me right now. Because when should he be getting his share of the estate? It's after dear old dad is not with us any longer. It's like he's saying, Dad, I wish you were dead so I could have my money right now. And then he gets this money, and what does he do in verse 13? He sets off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth and wild living. You know, if I was giving one of my kids a boatload of money, I'd be saying, okay, you're going to do this with it, you're going to do this with it, here are the regulations, you're going to report back to me, blah, 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 blah. There's no sense of that from dad at all, is there? He gives him the money, and the son is immature and just goes and wastes it away with nothing to show for it. There doesn't seem to be any sense of this father giving the son stipulations about how to use it. He's giving him freedom to fail on this. The second thing that we see from the father, which is just awesome to me, is that he shows hope for his son. The son goes away, wastes all the money. He gets desperate and wants to come back. And Luke verse 20 reads, so he got up and went to his father. So he's on his way, Okay. But while, he was still, while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him. How is that that his father saw him? I think he was standing at the fence, just watching. Just watching for his son to come back. Day after day, he'd go out and check. And one day, the heat waves are shimmering up off the sand in the Mideast. And he sees this figure coming towards him, right? And he recognizes the stride of that person coming towards him. And he knows that his son has come back. Julie and I have five great children, 25 to 14 years old. They're really great. And there's so many times that I say to them, guys, just listen, just take my advice on this. I've done that. It doesn't work. Do that instead. But of course, so oftentimes, kids need to walk through it on their own, right? His father, so we hope. And his father just hopes that his son is going to get things figured out. We pray for him. Just they want, hope they're going to come through the other side correctly. Uh, you know, the third thing this father does is he shows love of the son through this great reconciliation that he offers him. I think it's one of the most amazing things about this story. So here we have this, the family patriarch. There is this level of... of um, uh, gravitas to who he is and, and, um, and respect given to this man. And the text reads in verse 20, after the father spots him, he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. So this guy's standing at the fence. What should happen? We expect the son to come sort of groveling back to him, right? Sort of meekly approaching dad. Dad, I'm really sorry. I've completely messed up. I wasted all the money. I had a good time, but I wasted all the money and now I'm miserable. He did have a good time, didn't he? If you don't think he had a good time, you're wrong. But in the midst of having that good time, he also realized he was miserable because that's what we experience in life, isn't it? We can think we're having a grand old time and then it ends up feeling hollow and shallow. We say, I thought it was going to be great. 
Because I see the pictures in the newspaper, this and that. I think it's going to be great. Uh, it's not. You know why it's not? Because that's not the way God has wired us. God has made us differently than that. We can fool ourselves, and that's what Satan wants to do. Go do this, and you'll have fun. Go do this, and you'll have fun. All these things God said, ooh, ding, 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 ding. God says, warning, don't go there. He gives us free choice. God says, don't go there. It's gonna, just going to cause you problems. And so, so the son has gone off and does it, and the father has let him do it. But now what happens? We've got this father. He sees his son coming, and he should be like waiting in his like king chair, waiting for the son to come in. Instead, he like hoists up his robe, and he starts running to go see this son of his who's finally come back. You know, Nellie, the nosy neighbor. Imagine what she's going to be saying in the village. You should have seen what he did. He doesn't care at all because his son is coming back. You know, there's no lecture. There's no stern look. He just goes to him, throws his arms around him, and gives him a kiss before the son can, and before the son can say anything, he keeps going with his compassion because he didn't hold, number four, he didn't hold his son hostage to the past. Verses 21 to 24 say, the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven against you. I'm no longer worthy, etc., etc." But the father says, we're going to bring the fatted calf, give you the ring, the robe, the sandals, everything. We're going to celebrate and have a party because not only... Does he welcome the son back without giving him the lecture? And I'll tell you, I can learn from that one. But then he throws a party with some expense, and he's going to have other people come to the party as well. You know, the story is so nice and sweet up to this point in time, isn't it? And then my favorite character enters the picture. Yeah, somebody's laughing because it's their favorite character too, right? It's the older brother. You know, for years and years, I read this parable and I didn't get it. And I really related to what the older brother was saying. Why? It's not fair. Viscerally, I said, yeah, it's not fair. What? He gets some money. He goes off and he has a good time. And here I am with dear old dad on the farm doing what dad tells me to do. I don't get a goat for my friends. We don't get to have a party. And then little Billy comes home. And what does dad do for Billy? So great to see you again. Hope you had fun. Let's fill the, kill the fatty calf. Come on in and get the robe, this and that. He doesn't think it's fair, does he? Does it feel fair to you when you read that? It doesn't to me. So don't tell my teenage sons this story. No, I'm joking. Yeah. So it doesn't feel fair to us. And I think, here's a little secret, I think that that's the response that Jesus respected, expected from the whole audience he's telling it to. They say, what? Because remember, Jesus isn't just telling a story to entertain them. He's telling a story to teach them a deep spiritual truth. And that is that there's rejoicing in heaven whenever a lost one comes back. You know, that takes some work for us, isn't it? You know, there was a period in my life I really had to work to find joy when I saw somebody getting something that I didn't have or that I wanted. It took some time. And I had to like work on saying, like, I want to rejoice for this person when they get something great. I would love that thing too, but I'm going to rejoice in that, right? If you've never experienced that, you're not being honest, right? Right? You know, my thing is, I love to travel. But I've worked my whole life in the nonprofit world, and now I'm a pastor. Travel is not big on the fiscal agenda for, for pastors, right? But you know what? I can live vicariously through people traveling. And you know what? This life is short, and when this life ends, I'm traveling someplace even better. So, so, it's, so it's really, really okay. 
So we see the comparison. So we see these three people in the story, right? And this crowd is like reeling over what Jesus has just said about the, 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 uh, the response of the father saying, but he was lost and now he's found. He's found. So we can look at this comparison and sort of summarize the comparison of the three people in the story, right? So the oldest, the oldest son, he feels like somehow out of this, he's ended up a second place finisher, right? Because he's hung around the farm and now little bro gets that's all. The younger brother, he's realized the hollowness of what he's done. Now he's feeling like a second-class citizen. But then we've got wise dad who was standing at the fence. He just wants to give his son a second chance. That's what Jesus is ready to do for us. So I just want to give you this. I want to give you four little, four little uh, uh, thoughts about, about how can we can respond as adults, whether we're mother or father or an adult in the life of some other kid, okay? We want to see a person not as they are, but as they want to become. It's so easy for people to get locked in where they are, right? I remember when we lived in Vermont, there was this uh, town near us hired a new police chief. And there was a, the story that I heard was, there was a teenager in town, well, he was trouble. He was always in trouble with the police. And this new police chief came, of course, heard the story, heard the background of this. And the first time the chief saw him, chief walked over to him, stuck out his hand, introduced him, said, hey, listen, I know your story, but with me right now, you got a clean slate. That's, that's saying, I know I'm not going to focus on what you are, but I'm going to focus on what you can become. You know, secondly, we can help a person identify their bent. Proverbs 22, 6, this well-known verse says what? Train up a child in the way he shall go, and when he's older, he will not depart from it. We got the wisdom of some age here, and we can help guide the younger generation into ways that God has wired them to. Uh, you know, as parents, because we know we're not perfect, we want to strive to be a priority parent, not a perfect parent. You know, there are plenty of good stories in my family about ways that I failed, but I've tried really hard to make sure that like, we, the key times and the, the key principles that I'm there for my kids. And that's what God wants us to do. He doesn't expect us to be perfect. And lastly, as, as parents, we're really called to grow our children spiritually, aren't we? You know, there, is, there are awesome teachers downstairs here at the church. There are like 175 or 200 kids downstairs every Sunday here with super quality folks that are helping them out. And then the other six days and 22 hours of the week, they're not there and they're with us or somewhere else. And so as parents, it's really our responsibility to work and to grow up our kids. You know, one of the ways that kids, of course, most powerfully grow is simply by watching mom and dad and then copying what they do, for, for better or for worse. They copy what we do. And so I was reading this, this blog this week about a woman and talking about this issue of parents copying. And the one that I thought was funniest, which was probably because it hit close to home with me, goes like this. She says, my, when my son was young, I went to pick him up at the daycare center. I walked inside and I saw him playing with this little car that he could drive around inside the room. But then some other kids stepped in the way to which he yelled, get out of the way, idiot. <laughs> so kids do copy all sorts of things that necessarily they shouldn't be copying from adults. And, <laughs> and my daughter Holly's saying right now, yeah, dad, but no, I don't call any drivers idiots. But so let me give you just, a, I'll just rattle off a quick 10 things that you can do. Some of them might really resonate with you about ways that we can think about imparting into our kids, okay? Or young people around you, okay? 
Number one, we want to make sure they hear us praying earnestly and often. Prayer is real, and kids need to hear real prayer from us. Secondly, they need to see us interested in talking about the things of God. I think there's nothing more powerful. Just adults talking about God. You know why? So much of our culture, it's like, okay, God is like this hour, an hour and a quarter on Sunday morning. The rest of the week, we don't talk, ooh, we don't talk about God. That's God. We don't talk about him. No, we've got to see us. Kids have to see us talking about God during the week, right? They need to see us sharing our faith with others. If you have a gift of evangelism, then this one is easy for you, right? Because your kids are saying, Dad, Dad, stop talking to him. Stop talking. Can you just get gas and don't talk to the gas station attendant? But, but for other people, that's not you gifted enormously by God in other ways. You want to make sure that your kids see you sharing your faith. You want, you want to see kids making sure that they see you putting God in your finances and tithing first when it comes to your, your finances, right? They need to see you trying to, trying to live a consistent life. There's not the church person and the, and the rest of the week person. It's all the same. It's so important that our kids here are saying good things about other Christians, right? Just building up the whole family of Christ. And we want to be exposing our kids to other positive role models. You know, there's, uh, um, I'll tell you, I love it. Every time we have some, a Christian over our house or a missionary or this or that, I love for our kids to hear them talking because it's just amazing. And I look at the clock and I realize I don't have, this another story I don't have time to tell you, but I'll save that for some other day. Um, we want to make sure that our kids see us loving their mother, if you're a father, and, and that we bring them to Jesus. There are a lot of people in life that still need a breakthrough. I've certainly had a my share, and I'm so glad that I got them. And you may be needing a breakthrough in your life. It also may be that you are equipped to be providing a breakthrough to somebody else. And, and it may be that you've missed that opportunity. Or you think, oh, I sort of blew it. So I'd like to ask everybody to stand right now. You know, it, it may be that, that you're thinking to yourself, wow, you know, when I stop and think about this issue of breakthroughs, I've missed a chance to help somebody around me because they've been nudging me or I've seen it, their need. And I got selfish with my time or with my money or just an aggravation. I just didn't want to deal with it. Breakthroughs are so important in lives. That's one, play, one way that Christians can change the lives of people around us, can't we? When we help somebody to find a breakthrough. And that breakthrough on a normal thing might also help to propel them into a relationship with Jesus. And so I'd just like to ask everybody just to bow your heads right now. I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond in two different ways. I'm going to pray about each one of these out loud for us. But if you're feeling like you either would like a breakthrough in your life or you know that you should be helping somebody break through right now, I just ask you to raise your hand. Just raise your hand if you need a breakthrough or you want to help somebody break through or you've seen it. And thank you so, for so many people for raising your hands. Go ahead and put your hands down right now. Heavenly Father, I just pray that these folks that raise their hands, you see the desire of their heart, the desire for either a breakthrough in their life or their awareness that there's somebody else that they should really be coming alongside, loving, encouraging, tutoring, educating, challenging, rebuking, all towards so that, they, that somebody else can achieve a breakthrough. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be the kind of people that help others achieve a breakthrough. And now while everybody's heads are still bowed and eyes are still closed, 
If you have never had that breakthrough of coming into a relationship with Jesus Christ, I'll tell you, you're missing out on the greatest relationship ever. And when this brief life ends, it is the only relationship that will matter. So if you're not in that relationship right now and you want to step close to Jesus right now, right now, I'd encourage you just to slip up your hand right now. Raise it good and high so I can see it. Yes, I see that hand. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There are so many hands up. Lord, we just thank you so much that people want to break through. They want to step closer to you, Jesus. So church, I'd ask you all to pray together. Let's all pray together these words. Just repeat after me. Heavenly Father, you see, you see us standing before you. I know I've done wrong things. Please forgive me. I need Jesus in my life as a breakthrough. Thank you that you promise him to me. Help me to live his way, not my way. Thank you for the salvation that you give me in Jesus. Amen and amen. Thank you so much. Thank you so much.